Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John Orson Staku, as you might know me on Twitter, the executive producer here, and I just want to thank you for watching. It really means a lot to us that people watch, listen to, and enjoy our shows. If you want to help us keep making these shows as fun and lively as they can be, please join your fellow fans in supporting us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms, or by subscribing to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms. It really means a lot to us that the amount of you who do support us continue to do so, especially our $25 plus tier supporters on Patreon. Antitonic, Catwater Flame, Samantha Bates, Maureen Monty, and Gravity Alexander. Every little bit helps, so thank you to all of our patrons and subs. Check us out on Twitter at Final Show Films and on our website at www.finalshowfilms.com for updates, go live notifications, and more. We love interacting with you, so feel free to tweet at us or email us at finalshowfilms at gmail.com. That being said, please relax and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 51, where we're talking about Critical Role, episode 50, uh, Best Laid Plans, dot, dot, dot. I include the dot, dot, dot because it's included in the title of the episode. Um, Those are important dots. They are important yes. dots. I'm John, at John A. Bates on Twitter. Joining me today is Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hello, my name is Jeremy. I am at Thomas for all on Mania on Twitter. And we, uh, this episode stars Laura Bailey as Vexelia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, a returning Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxodon, Mercia Ray as Keila, Sam Regal as Scanlon, Travis Willingham as Grog, and as always, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Last, when last we left off, the group of Vox Machina got bitch slapped by a Sphinx for about an hour and a half. Yep. Pretty much. Uh... Resulting in the group being resulting in the group being given the location and information regarding several vestiges of divergence, uh, a little bit of healing here and there, and then shunted off to deal with their own shit, which they then proceed to do. Outside the uh, uh, return once once more outside into the frost wield outside the cave that uh, the Andro Sphinx was in. Uh, the group initiates a short rest, having determined that. Several of them were injured, and not and not all of them were healed. A couple of them are still old, uh, and they just need to rest for a second and collect themselves. Uh, Grog, having gone to his third level of exhaustion, uh, has to make a constitution save with disadvantage. Uh, he rolls a natural 20, and not realizing that he has to make it with disadvantage until a minute later, at first thinks he's okay. Uh... But then, when he recalls that he needs to make it with disadvantage and rolls a second d20, he gets a natural one, as these things go. Yep. Uh, what results is Grog, uh, is the rest of the party looking at Grog as he turns, stumbles off, and then collapses dead in the snow. Uh, the group of Vox Machina begins to panic. Uh, and they... <laughs> which can be said a lot throughout the series, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, yep. <laughs> group of Vox Machina begins to panic. Uh, they flip Grog over, uh, ascertain that he is in fact dead, get the get Craven Edge away from him, which has shrunken back down from its fully engorged uh, murder boner self into its now limp and cold uh, version. A, a flaccid sword, if you will. Yes. 
they not get, able to crave an edge. They get crave an edge away from Grog and begin slapping his under his his dead corpse, trying to get him to wake up. Realizing that that's not going to work, uh, they begin scrambling through uh, spell lists, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, Scanlan and Vexalia fly back up to the cave to try and see if they can't get a hold of the Sphinx that they had just been getting bitch slapped by, only to find that the entrance to the temple has been closed and they cannot get back into it. Uh, Pike realizes that she still has access to her Vivify spell and proceeds to cast it on Grog's uh, corpse. In order to assist with the revival process, uh, we uh, Scanlan uh, s- uh, inspires Pike by earnestly asking her to succeed. Uh, <laughs> which, sure. Um, Vax swears his eternal loyalty to the Raven Queen for reals this time. <laughs> Vax has a habit of swearing his eternal loyalty to the Raven Queen in times every of time desperation. He needs something. <laughs> every, every time he need, every time he's he gets desperate. Um, I mean, he's just following like typical, typical. Nah, I should shut up before I get <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't say all, and good ones don't. I'm just saying. You, right. Well, you didn't even you didn't even say all what. You just said typical, typical, and then stop. I think the lines <laughs> can be read between here, folks. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, uh, Vex. Sorry, so Vax swears his eternal loyalty to the Raven Queen again. Uh, Vex pulls out Grog's keg from their bag of colding and uh, feeds him some ale into his unconscious body. Scanlan pulls out a potion of giant strength, uh, uh, frost giant strength, I believe, uh, and feeds it to Grog's unconscious body. And uh, Percy goes and has a stare down with an inanimate sword. The most intense stare down one can have with an inanimate sword, as both the sword and Percy begin to smoke, and I don't mean with cigarettes. <laughs> uh, as the edge as the edge lord tries to out edge the actual edged weapon, uh, <laughs> the revival process succeeds, and Grog is and Grog is revived by the revivify spell, awakening with his hands around Scanlan's throat, <laughs> <laughs> like you do. Uh, the increasingly the increasingly red scan uh, growing increasingly red Scanlan uh, says hello. Grog lets go, and they begin to discuss what the fuck just happened. Uh, the party seems to determine that Craven Edge uh, ate Grog's soul, or at least that's the assumption at the moment. Is that Craven Edge ate Grog's soul, and will do so again in the future? So, the Vox Machina is understandably unwilling to let him keep Craven Edge. Grog, pouting, wants to keep Craven Edge because it's a cool sword, gives him power and strength. And as he as he admits to Pike, he's scared to go up against Kevdak uh, without something like Craven Edge on his side. Which we get we get a little bit of character from from Grog there. We also get finally. Some acknowledgement that Grog's been behaving a little fucked up as Keyleth yeah. goes, as Keyleth, for the first time in three episodes, says, Grog, you've been a little more fucked up than usual. Also, the 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 substance abuse metaphors are apt and heavy-handed here. 
<laughs> Though I will note that Keyleth brings up the fact that Grog has been behaving a little fucked up, and then immediately forget and, and immediately stops there and doesn't follow through with that idea. Sure. Uh, so it is it is mentioned and then not followed up on uh, by her or anyone else. The party eventually convinces Grog that they're going to, to, to let them get rid of the sword, and at that point begins the discussion as to how. Uh, several options are brought up. It is determined that it's probably not best to destroy it, just in case something bad happens. Um, Percy finishes his edgelord stare down with the edged weapon as the shadows retreat back into both of them. Um, there's a little bit of a heated tension as Keyleth and Vax learn that Keyleth, Vax, and Vex learn that Pike, Scanlan, and Percy already knew that Craven Edge was evil and that they had given it to Grog anyways. Uh, I like that it's the three half elves that are just oblivious. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> everyone, there's a there's a really great moment where 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 Vex, you know, uh, Keyleth asks who knew, and Scanlan lists out all the people that knew, and they go like, "Why did half the party know, but not us?" Uh, which yep. legitimate question doesn't get answered. Um, Pretty much. Eventually, it is decided by Keyleth that she is going to plane shift the sword uh, away. But before doing so, Pike wants to take one last look at it. Uh, she casts Greater Restoration on the sword itself uh, and discovers that it is still attached somehow to Grog. Through use of Greater Restoration, she manages to unattach it, uh, breaking the breaking the link of dark magic that connects uh, Craven Edge to Grog, at which point Grog realizes that that sword ate his soul and was manipulating him the whole time. Grog is now angry at the sword and doesn't care for it anymore. Thus ends the Romance of the Ages. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at this point, uh, Vex, I'm oh, sorry, not Vex, Keyleth, uh, grabs the sword, sends it away, and, uh, sends it specifically to the plane of the Dread Emperor, uh, though previous, though previous suggestions included the Nine Hells, where it could roam free, and into the orb of anti-magic destruction that is underneath, uh, un that is underneath, uh, Whitestone. Neither of those options having been looked upon favorably, they opted to instead send it to an abandoned to an abandoned demiplane where nothing lives. And honestly, I think that is probably the wisest of those three choices, given yep. what we eventually find out later on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there is one one funny thing. One funny thing that I'm going to touch on uh, just for for foreshadowing's sake. We've talked about foreshadowing before, but this is one that I didn't remember hap having happened until I watched it again. Uh, Vax is one of the people that got aged in the fight with the Sphinx. Oh, you're going to take my spot. Okay, fine. You take it. <laughs> it was in my section. It was it. That was part of the overlap. No, no it wasn't. That's it right. was drastically ahead. Although I guess they probably do touch on it again later because they don't actually cure him until later. Yeah. 
they do touch on it later. Uh, but yeah, they're, uh, uh, they, it is mentioned that, you know, Vax, who's been aged about 25 years, looks good 25 years older, and that, that the, the, the image of an older Vax is something to look forward to. And I'm just going to leave that there, and we can touch on it when Jeremy brings it up on his recap. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Keyleth, Keyleth shunts the sword off into a different location, uh, and that's the end of my section. Before we move yep. on to Jeremy, I just want to note that 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 was a fairly brisk telling of this of the events, but I didn't really leave anything out because it took them basically an hour to do what in most other forms of media would have taken about 20 minutes. Yep. Because, uh, uh, because that's the, because that's an, yeah, because that's the nature of, of tabletop role-playing games, especially when you have seven people. Yeah. Yeah. Believe us. We know. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Like sure. That took like an hour and a half and these are, trained professionals who know how to tell a story, hit their character beats and progress through the necessary developments and interactions in a reasonably efficient format 90% of the time. Yep. That doesn't, it's way worse in most. That's not necessarily a criticism. Sometimes it's fun to literally drag it out moment by moment. But if you're looking for like a real tight, efficient, get those things out, tabletop games might not be the place to find that. Well, yeah, and- I mean, <laughs> but that's but that's that that's great too for a couple reasons. One, here's a snarky one: when I'm DMing and that happens, that's great. I don't have to prepare for next week because they got through literally none of my plot. Exactly. That happens uh, but all the on, time when I'm jamming. But on the other side, those moments are always very character developing. Those moments are always very significant in terms of making, even if it's just them, dis- even if it's just planning out how they're going to approach a battle or 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 what to do about a cursed sword or stuff like that, which sounds like, you know, it sounds like logic problem stuff. It sounds like problem solving stuff. That that stuff and the different character interactions and the way that you can you can shade your reactions to things is really, really significant. Oh. Uh, far more than like when you're going through the big plot. So not that the big plot stuff can't have uh, a crucial moments because it absolutely will but that stuff is really like the, the shading between you know the inking of, of the character on the cop so to speak i would say it can be can um you right yeah because i have seen a great deal of and i'm this is where i sort of start to draw the distinction of is the game for tabletop anyway, is the game you're playing for the entertainment of the players or are you actively trying to produce something meant to be viewed and consumed by an exterior audience? Mm -hmm. Because it's very easy and it can be a lot of fun for the players. It can also be frustrating for the players depending on who your players are, you know, but when, when you've got these things of, all right, here's the problem presented by the storyteller. 
somebody comes up with an idea, somebody else comes up with an alternate idea, and then there's three hours of discussion over just which of these two ideas is better and why. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that'll definitely happen. Right. And and a lot of times, in my experience at least, those tend to get bogged down on a tactical analysis basis which is much more frequently a meta discussion between character between players trying to solve a problem than a character discussion based on the actual personalities and that sort of thing it can cross over and of course this is a widely murky aspect of of tabletop gaming but you do have to be careful of those if you're trying to produce a game that is targeted at your viewing audience. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do I would say. I do want to point out that this is mm-hmm. not, that while while I mentioned earlier that this is the sort of thing that only takes a couple of minutes in uh other forms of media, there is one particular section of media where this kind of plot edging happens a lot. Uh, and that is... Are you talking about Dragon Ball Z? Yes, actually. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anime. I where, knew it. Not, not anime. Not anime as a whole, but specifically shonen <clears throat> fighting anime. Uh, yeah. Okay. Shows that are uh, uh, shonen being the genre directed at young, 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 young to young adult males uh, in right. Japan, and fighting anime in particular, the kind of that revolve around. Uh, continual uh, physical conflict like Dragon Ball Z. Not even um, necessarily physical combat. Yu-Gi-Oh is a thing. Yeah, things like things like Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, <clears throat> but particularly because it's a it's a method of it's a method of generating tension, as mm-hmm. all good edging is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love how much edging has come up in this conversation. <laughs> we didn't name the sword. <laughs> We're just working with it. We're just running with it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's it's a narrative method for generating tension when you drag out a moment for much longer than it would realistically be. Uh, uh-huh. You get this. There is this sense of there is this sense of uh, of anticipation. Uh, or as, or as, uh, uh, or as the great Doctor Frankenfurter said, Antissa, patient. Right. Uh, the it drawing that out as is is a valid method of generating tension and generating stress, both for the characters. for those watching along at home. Uh, we reference Tim Curry. Take a drink. <laughs> well, well, I don't think we ref- we don't reference Tim Curry all that much. I don't feel then like we a- better start. I don't feel like that's well, a that valid a good thing point. to. <laughs> No, That's... our drink, our, our take a drink moments are obviously shit on Drist, <laughs> reference Buffy, reference X-Men, um, John complains about shipping. Um, I don't complain that much. In fact, I've, I've only complained once. <laughs> and, I, and I feel I need to be clear. I complain about weird shipping, not all shipping. <laughs> See, no true Scotsman. <laughs> well, right. well I, I, I made this. I made this mention. I made this. I made this mention on, to tangent really hard. I mean, I, 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 I tweeted about this a while back uh, about my my particular issues with certain types of shipping. Is that, mm-hmm. um, if you had a character, if you had a character that was established as being gay in the narrative that it's in the narrative that it exists 
and somebody shipped this gay character with a female character. Mm -hmm. That would feel weird, would it not? Eh, because yes and no. Potentially, like, I understand where you're coming from, but for me, do you know how many how many straight or or indetermined characters? I ship in in queer relationships. I'm sure a lot, like a lot, a fucking lot. Well, so, and, and like I said, this and because and as long as you are acknowledging that you're not trying to you're you're not trying to impress this on the narrative or on the other people. Which, if you do, your problem is shipping no matter what you ship. Yeah, then yeah. that's fine. And that's like I said, and that's my personal issue with it. I don't yeah. I don't have problems with people that enjoy it as a form of as a form of interacting with your entertainment. Feel free to ship all you want. For me personally, it just feels weird to take what is an established character's identity and say, No, that's yep. not your identity. This is your identity. You're not gay, you're straight. Specifically, you're straight with this person. Like right. that. Uh -huh. That feels skeevy to me personally. I get that. I definitely oh, yeah. get that. No, um, I, can, I can definitely see that. Like, be it's a, definitely not so. Those definitely aren't the kind of ships that I do. Yeah, and that's fine. And, but, 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 so uh, it, it, it's definitely something where if I saw that, I'd be like, uh, no, but I would say that internally because I'm not going to shit on somebody else's ships because personally i don't have ships i have fucking fleets <laughs> <laughs> like and you can take fucking fleets any way you want right yeah oh we took it all the ways yes we took it we yeah. took it yeah, that's we my, took it that's both my, directions my, if you know what i'm saying my, 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 <laughs> my issue with shipping isn't with the idea or concept of shipping itself it's right with the it's with the particular act of imposing your will on characters yeah. who have established established identities, identities and orientations it's uh -huh. the negative it, it is it is the and it's the bad shippers, basically. I, I, I guess, and I get, and that that probably comes from, and that probably comes from being somebody who lives in a society where quite yeah. often people in the LGBTQ community will say, "You're not bisexual, you're straight," or "You're not right. bisexual, you're gay," or "You're not bisexual, you're transphobic." Uh, <laughs> uh, let's not get on that run. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like other people imposing their will on yeah. my orientation and my identity is uh, the right. reason I, why <laughs> I thought you were Cuban. <laughs> I am. <laughs> this, is, this is no no because this is this is non-advanced uh 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 Q&Q uh, where you don't have you don't have a race and a, and a sexuality you have to choose one one, one or the other either right. you're cuban or you're bisexual or you're bisexual you for people who don't bum. understand that joke go look up the original basic dungeons and dragons yes <laughs> elf is a class elf. god Damn it! Either you're an elf or you're a warrior. You cannot be an elf warrior. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, that's that's my tangent into my so that we all understand what my specific issue with shipping is. It's not with the act of shipping. It is the the it act is, of is. imposing your will on on 
on somebody else's identity. The agent, yeah, on somebody else's identity. Yeah. Um. Anyways, <laughs> that was an impressive tangent. That that's what tangenting would be a drinking thing, but we don't want our listeners to die of alcohol poisoning. It's true. We would prefer. Yeah. Not. No. If you if you don't if you don't have my if you don't have my level of alcohol tolerance, you will die if you drink every time we tangent. <laughs> Although I am now making it my own personal goal to make we reference Tim Curry take a drink part now. Yes. That that that'll have to that'll have to start when we start doing the the next section, the next evolution of critical thinking. Okay. We'll have mm-hmm. to make it our mission to reference. Tim Curry more. I mean, that won't be hard. Even if no. it's even if it's just visual references that I that I do <laughs> in the editing. Like we don't say we don't actually say anything about Tim Curry. I just pop an image of Tim Curry over the video for the audience. I feel say. like I feel like he's it's been so in enough things where we could just grab Tim Curry. Oh yeah, like Rocky Horror Picture Show, Legend, It, fucking Clue. Yeah, like Wasn't one he? plus two plus yeah. two plus one plus one. <laughs> I mean, Command and Conquer. I was going to say, Space! Space. Muppet Treasure Island, for Christ's sake. Muppet Home Alone 2. Yep. Was he in Home Alone 2? Yes. Yes, he was. He absolutely was in Home Alone 2. Hmm. Uh, uh, I'm going to tell you how long it's been since I've I've seen Home Alone 2. Disney's Three Musketeers. Yes. Yeah. Cardinal Richelieu. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Underrated movie. Underrated movie. Also, interestingly, one of the few movies where Tim Curry is not the best thing in it. That's true. Like, that's like Tim Curry is great in it, but he's not the best thing in it. Yeah. No, which is, for sure. Which is surprising because normally Tim Curry is the best thing in any movie he's in. <laughs> I mean, I would say in Clue, he's equally as good as fucking everyone. I mean, yes. Oh, uh, what? Why? Why can't I think of her name? She played flames on the side of my face. Uh, um, uh, Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn. Yeah. She was in Clue. Yes, she was in Clue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Like, the fucking. Name. Madeline Kahn is great. Yeah, uh, she was, she was, um, uh, uh, the, the, the white, the white piece. Mrs. White. Miss White. Mrs. White. Her, they were all Mrs. named White? Mrs. Whatever. Yeah. And, like, names. Yeah, but some of them were different variations. I need like, to see like that. Colonel, like, like, like Colonel, that, yeah. Colonel, Colonel Mustard Reverend or Green. Peacock. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. I think she was Mrs. White. Um, But no, fucking everybody, yeah. whether yeah. Leslie Ann. Yeah, she played Mrs. White. <laughs> Wesley, Leslie Ann Warren is Miss. That's one to add to the list. Absolutely. That is absolutely one to add to the list. Because fact, you know what that has that fact, other things don't have that we can discuss very specifically on that one? Ties to a besides board game. murder besides murder mysteries. Bes- well, we have ad- like everything we have on that list is an adaptation. Yeah. But we have to do the Dungeons not everything, and, but the, a lot the of the Dungeons things. and Dragons movie too. No. Oh, oh. oh. I'm gonna need to, I'm <laughs> gonna need more alcohol for that. <laughs> yep. Um but no. In addition to, you know, ensemble and murder mystery and that alternate endings. Yeah. 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 That is one of the few movies to have alternate endings in the theater. And uh, to be clear, there's only two that I can think of. To be clear for anybody watching the Dungeons and Dragons movie I'm referencing is the 2000 Jeremy Irons one. Yes. (laughs) Blue lipstick man. Yes. Yep. The the. 
the one of it's the, like an invisible wall of force i've never seen anything like it one of the greatest <laughs> bad movies in existence oh it's so bad it's so i remember bad. Bringing this back to Critical Role for a moment. <laughs> when I interviewed Matt at, at, at Wizard World all those years ago at this point, Jesus Christ. I know, right? Um, like three years ago, wasn't it? No, no. Oh, more than that. Four? Four, four or five, maybe four? five. Wasn't five, because five uh, five years ago... I can tell you right fun now. Fun fact, next year, next year is five years since the beginning of, of Final Show Films. Ah, I can tell you right yeah, now. Yeah, so I think it's been four. I think it's been four years. Oh nope, three years. No, no, I was pretty sure it was three years <laughs> because we found ourselves yeah. operating for because my, about my three years this past February been... or for three years this coming February. This past February. Past February. Yeah, it's almost four years. Yeah, anyway. almost four. Okay, cool. but yeah. When I when, when I talked to her, I was talking about you know D and D becoming more popular and so on. He's like, there was a moment where the Dungeons and Dragons movie came. I uh, let me see if I can find the exact quote because I brought it up. Um, <laughs> where 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 I thought it might happen with the Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, no, when the first Dungeons and Dragons movie came out, there's there was a little hope and it was immediately crushed. Me and my game group at the time went and saw it, and we started just mystery science theatering it halfway through. <laughs> because all you could do is, would, because it was all that you could do, because it's kind of atrocious, it's awful. I remember the beholder just floated by and then turned, and I was like, fuck this movie. I was so, so angry. <laughs> Oh yes, that's that's yes. add to the list. Add them both to the list. Yeah. Anyways, Anyways so we have an episode to talk about, and it's your right. turn. Yes, we finished is. edging enough. Yes. Okay. So Craven Edge has been dealt with, uh, and the party goes decides to go camp for the night. Particularly since Grog is well, fucking exhausted. Yeah. Um, Pike in in in, in a nice little showing offers Grog his gauntlets of power back so that Grog can still be the strongest. Which, <laughs> oh. Which is adorable. That's just, it's amazing. <laughs> I, one of the best, well, no, probably the best friendship in the game. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Pike, I mean, Pike's friendships are just precious in general. Yeah. And Grog trades, trades, <laughs> trades are the boots of levitation for them. And she says, one day I'll be strong. Also the, uh, Dark Iron Plate, didn't he? Possibly. I think also the Maybe. Dark Iron Plate. I didn't write that down. It's not like he was using it. Yeah. Um, but yes, then we get... Uh, uh, see, I thought you were going to reference this just in terms of a Vaxleth moment. A Vaxleth moment happens when Keyleth casts Greater Restoration on Vax, de-ages him, but says being older made him look distinguished. Uh, meanwhile... Vexy shippers rejoice as Percy, Percy and Vex have a moment in the workshop when they're modifying the broom, and Percy is very happy with the fact that uh, she makes it go much, much quicker because, you know, Percy rolled a natural 20 right? Uh, because, because advantage, and says, we should do this again sometime. Yeah, no, I don't have I don't have any problem with most of the critical yeah. role ships because they're yeah. in line with the characters' desires and and yeah. orientations. This is the point where I where, where I literally wrote in my notes in all caps bolded. Look, shipping is a thing. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Grog dusts off the old firebrand warhammer, uh, tries to talk to it, 
but it's not an intelligent item. So that <laughs> crisis is averted. Uh, the party gets up in the morning. Wouldn't it have been breakfast. if he had just happened to have another sentient item it in would, his bag? That was, I, I, I'm not going to lie. The first time I watched it, I was kind of hoping. <laughs> right. Um, because that moment, especially if it were, depending on its personality, that moment of like, the Warhammer being passive aggressive about the whole thing and completely jealous would have been amazing. Oh yeah. Um, the party gets up in the morning, has breakfast. Scanlan does a little bit of writing that's not revealed at the moment. Um, <laughs> and the group heads out to return to Western. Uh, they consider going to the Feywild to retrieve the vestige there, but when it's pointed out by Vac that they're that that his and Vex's fathers in Singorn in the Feywild, they decide, and eh, now nah, let's go to Western. <laughs> um, <laughs> literally, that's basically the reaction. We could go get this awesome magical item, although we might have to talk to our father. Yeah, no, fuck that. Yep. <laughs> um, the party tries to sneak their way through the forest, uh, but Pike and Percy end up falling back a ways. Uh, and, and see a see a basilisk approaching, because if you remember a couple episodes ago, they ran afoul of a bunch of. Them. It would have been so great if they ran across not only the basilisk but all the people that they had sent on like un, un, unprotected back to the camp, <laughs> like frozen in position. <laughs> that would be if I was GMing, <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, anything they all, the that group, you don't ensure succeeds yourself goes horribly wrong. Yes, suck it up and deal with it. So the group takes off as they hear the sounds of more basilisks uh, joining chase, but they manage to get away, heading towards their destination. Uh, along the way, they decide to stop at the refugee camp at the Foramir Basin, and the guards confirm that, no, that didn't happen. The refugees made it back. <laughs> I was so disappointed. <laughs> um, they go to see Cornelius, get an update from, from him, uh, say that they will be heading to Western, where they're going to send word. The refugees are making their way to Kaima. Uh, moving on from there, the party does take a rest to decide what to do. And this is where a lot more planning happens um, and, and discussion of plans and things like that. I, I, I squeezed it down to one paragraph because ain't nobody got time for all that. Right. Um, Grog suggests being clever, as, as Percy has suggested, and trying to send someone in his base. Uh, there is a discussion about a potential trial by combat. Percy and Vex bring up the idea of Grog challenging Kevdak to a rematch. Uh, Grog has some really good moments in here. And this is this is one. Uh, Grog is a character. It's going to take a moment to talk about Grog here. Because he's a character who I think up to this point has really been. One note. I wouldn't say in one note, but I would Two say note. he and Scanlan are very much the comic relief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, even when storylines focus on them, it's, uh, there's like, like the Craven Edge thing was still largely done in a humorous standpoint. Serious, obviously, he died, but, but, but in a serious sort of, or in a humorous sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, 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 tone throughout. And the whole basic gist of that storyline was the the evil intelligence sword manipulating, you know, violent but good-natured right. dumb Grog. Um, this is really, for me, the moment where Grog... Not, not that I didn't really love Grog before, um, but this is a moment where he starts to become more than a more than a humorous side character and and really starts to come into his own in terms of story yeah they they start adding some depth and layers to grog we won't get it for scanlan for a little bit longer yeah but the thing that intrigued me um looking back at this this episode with the with with grog's particular beginning to get some characterization Mm -hmm. Is that it very much reminds me of the kind of the way you characterize you have to the way you have to work around characterizing certain characters in media, particularly the Hulk uh, in yep. Marvel in Marvel movies. The Hulk is not as as cool as the Hulk is and has and as broad uh, as broad a characterization as the Hulk can have. As he exists currently in the MCU, it's very difficult for the Hulk to carry his own full narrative and story because we saw what happened the last time they tried. Uh, up to, to be fair, up to but not including Endgame. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I won't spoil anything there, but because I know it, it's still the same release year and that movie, I'm just going to be careful all the time. Yeah. yeah. But, but looking back to Infinity War, yeah. looking back Infinity to Infinity War, you sort yep. of see and, and prior to that as well, you sort oh, of yeah. see the, the way you the way you characterize this particular kind of character is in in conjunction to and, and, and in reflection of their relationship with the other more fleshed out characters. Yep. And mm-hmm. in this and in this in particular, we get to see Grog. Uh, we get to see Grog's insecurities based off of his relationship prior with the rest of the party. The party mm-hmm. having seen him as this big, unstoppable, undying, unkillable war machine is now afraid to fight this guy and so whereas for a normal character for another character you would need a lot more like you would need a lot more than just oh this guy is scary to really to really bite into that characterization here it hits a lot more because we're seeing it from the perspective of you know this is our this is our big meat tank and he's afraid Yeah. Well, and it's. I think it's. I think it's more than 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 just the being scared thing too. I agree with you. I think the Hulk is a really good example. Yeah. And I will say this: there is a reason why of all the MCU films. Actually, let me go back further. Of all the Marvel films, the ones not including X Men. That's Fox. That's a whole thing. Um, I'm not going to go off on that tangent, <laughs> but within the MCU or within the, within Marvel Studios created films, the Hulk's movies are the least successful ones, right? Financially, yeah, and arguably creatively. I actually kind I, I don't mind or Norton Hulk. Ang Lee's Hulk is an absolute mess and a chore to get through. Yes, it is. Um, And the reason for that, and when I say this, I'm 
Uh, I'm not trying to be. Is it Ang Lee's Hulk? Norton's Hulk? No, no. no. Ang Lee's Ang Hulk, Lee's Hulk, Hulk is, is Eric, Eric Banner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Um, when I say this, which is unfortunate because that Hulk had, I like Liv Taylor just fine. I think she's a very good actress. Eric Bana had the better Betsy Ross. Oh yes, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly was Betsy fucking Ross. amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> when I say this is going to sound, this is going to sound like, like like I'm putting down Grog, and I'm not. But similarly, up until this point, I could have seen like, not that this would ever happen, but I could have seen like a solo you know solo arc like like one-on-one dm session or series Mm -hmm. with like vax or keyleth or 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 percy or vex or even probably pike because we know some things about pike and and there's plenty of missing time there that with that in terms of like after she died before the stream and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I never would have, there were two characters that I never would have imagined at the, at this point, which were Grog and Scanlan. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're great characters and I, I really enjoyed them, but you're right. They're the way that they're interesting is in how they interact with the other characters. They are the, they are the rocket raccoon and Hulk of critical role. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the Gruten Hulk. No, I, I, I feel, I feel like Scanlan is more Rocket Raccoon than Groot. He is, but in terms of, in terms of, I can see a Rocket Raccoon spinoff. Yeah, I mean, R- Rocket could, Rocket could carry a narrative by himself. Sure, yeah. Groot can't, but yeah, and not but in- just because he can't speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but this this point where 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 he really starts to come alive as a character it's not just about the fear it is when he's having this conversation we see that he's learning how to adapt to his enemy and we get some more of how he views the world and how he views his place in it we i i i may be entirely wrong about this but I thought about it, and I Googled it, and I cannot think of a previous time that Grog referred to Vox Machina as his family. Yeah, no, I can't either. This I, is the first time either, as near as I'm aware. I can't either, but it's that, that term is used so much by so many of the characters that I've never really thought about it. Yeah. No, and that was my that was the thing is when when he starts talking about this stuff and and they start asking, he said, you know, you guys are my family, and th- that struck me because I realized I couldn't remember him ever saying it before, and so I, I, like I said, I did a Google search. Doesn't mean anything. He could have said it seven thousand times up to that. Feel point. free to correct us in the comments below. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, it's things like that. Mm-hmm. It's things about, you know, like I said, he's starting to. This is a this is a foe who normally when Grog goes in, he just charges in. He's actually thinking this time. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is. You know, when 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 people are, you know, they're they're talking about 
like uh, 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 tricks and, and, and things like that. I didn't write this down. I didn't. I didn't write this down in my notes as it was him, but I, he is definitely one of the people who makes the point of. But we have to get the people out. Mm-hmm. Like this is a new side of Grog we haven't seen before, and that's fascinating to me. And that's where I think he starts to come into his own as a character because his arc here. I mean, we're 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 going into. I think I think this goes into like next next week, next episode, maybe even the one after that. But this is not a long arc for mm-hmm. for Grog. But it really makes up for that with 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 how deep it goes for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. But uh, <laughs> so. He talks about how he's been wanting to get back at Kevdak his whole life. And like I said, he'll do it with his family, but he wants to do it right. They debate for like 20 minutes. <laughs> it's something like that. And they talk about the group. The, the, there, there's some stuff about the group hiding and using their magic and, and making it seem like Grog has new abilities, which leads to the single best exchange in this episode, which is Grog saying... If I do a pelvic thrust, will you do your? And Scanlan goes, "I will grant you cock lightning." <laughs> I will grant you cock lightning. Um, they go back and forth on several different permutations of the plan: how to deal with the herd while not dealing with the dragon. And they ultimately decide to camp outside the city and wait for the dragon to fly by before they move in. Um, eventually they make it to the outskirts of Western and they, they eventually end up near where Grog killed Horus. Uh, after, after Vax, Vex and Pike see a patrol of, from, excuse me, from the herd over there. Vax sneaks over so that, so that he can get Horus's head, but sees the body is gone. And now we get the John moment because he gets close enough to see the farmhouse of Reginald, the farmer that they had encountered, and see a scarecrow that is not a scarecrow. It's Reginald. Womp womp. Yep. Life sucks. Get a helmet. <laughs> Vax takes the body down, brings it back to the others. So with a with a great comment about yes, I'd like to. I, I think it's time we have a. I don't remember his exact phrasing, but something about uh uh. uh we it, need to have a discussion about consequences, about repercussions, repercussions. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and and to be clear, that's that's why I like that sort of uh, yeah that sort of thing. Oh, it's, for sure. It's not because I. It's not because I just like mentally torturing my players. I, or you're addicted to grim dark shit no, or anything. But right. I, I like I, I I like the idea that in tabletop RPGs there are repercussions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. if you don't take into account what those might be, sometimes it'll just pop up and you're like, Oh, I didn't expect that. Well, you sent you sent yep. a bunch of you sent a group of unarmed people who are not fighters or adventurers on their own through a frozen wilderness that you know is inhabited by basilisks. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> and see, for me, this kind of thing is 
so at this point, I would kind of like to talk about the concept of fridging, which I think we've talked about before. <laughs> we Sorry, the term makes me laugh every time it's brought up. Because I constantly imagine somebody just getting taken out by a fridge, not what, not not the original like image. Not I just picture not, like, not dismembered no, and put into a no, fridge. No, no, I just, I just picture somebody walking down a street and a fridge coming out of nowhere, just knocking Bam. the fuck out. <laughs> so, for those who aren't familiar, with, like I said, we've talked about it before, but the term comes from uh, a Gail Simone. Um, who is a who is a comic book writer, um, who had a website, and I think this might have even been before she was she was she was really in the, uh, entrenched in the comic industry. Those called women in refrigerators. Yeah, and the term specifically comes from Green Lantern. Green Lantern and Green Lanterns. Yep, Gr G Green Lantern. This is specifically Kyle Rayner, I believe. Yes. Um, uh, Kyle Rayner's girlfriend is found by one of his villains, killed, dismembered, and then put into his refrigerator. Which is decidedly less funny than someone walking down the street getting taken out by yes, a refrigerator. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the term has come to mean it is a trope that is killing off a secondary character in order to provide, in order to facilitate a, a motivation, emotional reaction, facilitate something in regards to the main character. And quite often, the death a, does not have agency of that supporting character's own. And quite often, it's a female character as well. Quite yes. often, it's there, a female there's, character. There's a lot of sexism overlap with that. Was that. that was sort of that was where women in refrigerators yeah. came from, because Simone noted <laughs> Simone made a point to list. Like all, and it wasn't even all, it was just a lot. Yeah. A lot of the female characters in comic books who have been killed, crippled, depowered, um, Barbara uh, driven Barbara insane, Gordon institutionalized. Yeah. yeah. All of this stuff specifically to motivate another usually male character. Uh -huh. Now, I've been very on record about my about 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 my issues with fridging before. I want to I want to I want to I want to do a Shyamalan like swerve here. <laughs> I'm going to defend fridging <laughs> because the issue with fridging and the fridge issue with it that I always have is when it is disproportionately female characters, people of uh, characters of color. And LGBTQIA characters. Right. It, it it is always used for marginalized community characters to motivate the 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 primary hero. Right. Who usually belongs to a more privileged question. demographic. Really quick question. Does it count as fridging if you are the person that killed the person? Because I was just reminded of the I was just reminded of uh, of uh, of uh, River's End in Grand Terra Rebirth when you guys were messing around with the NP with the NPCs who were under a curse and ended up killing that one guy's husband. Nah. Okay, so I would That's say That's repercussions for actions. That's okay. not fridging. Replica it can be repercussions for actions. It can also be fridging. It can. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious it can if that, be. I was just curious yeah. if that mm -hmm. counted. Yeah. 
no the the individual who commits the fridging can also be the protagonist who then is altered or motivated by the fridging of said character generally it's not but it can because it, it's rare because it, it definitely it, it affected happen. william's character it did no it absolutely mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. but i no i don't th- i wouldn't call that a fridging uh, because so to be perfectly <clears throat> honest that character well that character represented a lot to 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 william's character that character was not significant no just the, uh, fridging generally has to happen to somebody who is a significant supporting character. Yeah. For instance, um, glad glad okay. to get that out of the way. <laughs> Analyze this for me, then, Jeremy. Forge creates a gun uh-huh. designed to depower mutants. Yep, yep, that's right. the thing that happened. Right, and his character undergoes significant yep. character development because that item that he makes is used to depower a highly significant female person Person of of color color. character as well now and queer icon and queer icon that's all subtext it's also subtext is a fucking but subtext is still text um it's just below the other text right yeah (laughs) right so I would storm that, is queer. Is, deal with it. Yeah, that is to me. That is one of those sort of now. Now storm was not then relegated to a secondary no. care. You know. So, but that sort of thing because and especially because that event provided a huge amount of character development for Forge going forward. That's but that's one of those still, sort of like uh, subverted I, slash inverted. So Storm, here's the wait, thing with Storm's that. Storm's last name is T'Challa? No. She was, wasn't she married? She was married to T'Challa. T'Challa for a little while, uh, but T'Challa sorry. is T'Challa's first name. Sorry, it was just, it, uh, it, in, in notable aliases under Storm's information broken, it, it says Aurora Equati T'Challa. No, Aurora's, Aurora, Aurora, ah. I Aurora Monroe. Last name is Monroe. Monroe okay. is her last name. So. She but, is the daughter of a Kenyan... Prince, okay, so yeah, uh, she was princess married. and a an American diplomat. Right, so when yeah. when she got married to yeah. uh, Black Panther, she became yes. Yeah, got it. Got um, it. Never mind. Black Panther. Sorry, I was confused. It's all good. So I would say that's not a fridging because I don't think <laughs> that Forge is the primary character of that arc. Right. Yeah. That's no, but- that's where that falls apart, mm-hmm. and I think that that is that is depowering Storm to give Storm more character development because she goes through mm. a lot more development than story. Oh yeah. No, she, does. she absolutely does. And yeah, with the whole like life death thing, life and- death and just her, um, uh, j- just everything, just mm-hmm. her, 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 her relationship, uh, with, with Yukio definitely gets a lot stronger yeah. after mm-hmm. that. Her, uh, I mean, she fucking goes back to the X-Men and beats Cyclone <laughs> without right. her fucking powers right. because kicks Storm, his ass and says, I'm in charge now. Because Storm, Storm does not need to be a weather goddess. She's a goddess without mutant powers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, but yeah, no, using yeah. those those sort of basic building blocks 
had Forge been the main character, well, he, it, it I would have said that would have been, been right. The main character fridging someone and then yep. developing because of it. Right. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but the thing about fridging is that it's a basic component of storytelling, as particularly yeah. genre, a genre style storytelling. I mean, you you could say that Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru was fridging. Absolutely. I feel they like if you're incinerated fridging. down to your bones, fridging isn't the correct term. Ah. <laughs> it's but shorthand. Language is an frid- evolving construct. Take a drink. Fucking every horror movie ever mm-hmm. is 90% fridging. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. character that gets killed off yeah. is there to motivate the, the one final girl, final yeah. character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so on and so forth. It is a and it is a valuable, often necessary component of fridging. Though I would counter that 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 in in the idea of fridging as presented by women in fridges, uh, there is a certain level of pointlessness to the death. That's that doesn't the, exist in horror movies. Right. Yeah. Frequent. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. Because, um, because the deaths are the point of the horror movie, right? As opposed uh-huh. to with like the Green Lantern care with the, with the Green Lantern. Yeah, there uh, was no the, point to that. There was no point right. to that. Mm-hmm. She could have just been found dead, not dismembered, shoved in a fridge. <laughs> not even dead, like <laughs> kidnapped. I mean, this is yeah. the fucking nineteen eighties. Any number right? of other ways it could have been handled. The the killing and then dismembering and then being yeah. shoved into a fridge was the three steps farther than it needed to go. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I will give another perfect <clears throat> example on, and uh and it's probably it's one of the most iconic deaths in comic books. Uh mm-hmm. the death of Gwen Stacy yeah. mm-hmm. is absolutely fridging. Do I think it's bad? No. That's mm-hmm. an essential iconic moment of comic books that that does a lot of really crucial things. You can't imagine what the Marvel Universe is like if that moment hadn't happened. What about yeah. the death of Robin? Death of, uh, yeah, y- yes, yeah, that's a fridging. And then, and then, contrasting with the death of Robin, specifically in the DCEU, where it happens off screen prior to Batman v Superman. I don't mind. I see if some if somebody you've literally never met, yeah, is depicted as dead. It's really hard because you don't have any emotional connection to that character. Which is part. It's, which it's, was part of the it's problem. It's why Batman's, Batman's parents are not generally yeah. considered fridging. Yeah, yeah. Which right. which is which is part of why that you know part of why that movie had so many problems was that we're supposed to be we're supposed to be we are dictated to have an emotional attachment to a character we've never met. Right. <laughs> never will meet. Never will even see. Right. Based solely I on a suit argue. of armor with a paint with a paint yeah. job on it. <laughs> yep. It's a whole thing. Um, but so, fridging. The big problem with fridging is, uh, as people understand it, and as it is very commonly misunderstood in online in a lot of ways. Is not that Gail Simone herself has said she doesn't have a problem with fridging as as a trope. The only thing she was pointing out was how much it disproportionately happened to women. Yeah, right. Um, so so when Reginald, a character that we've met, a character that we liked, 
gets killed off very specifically to motivate the characters further. That's perfectly acceptable. And I like, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. it works because that moment when we're like, it's a scarecrow, but it's not a scarecrow. And you see the reactions from all of the cats members. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. That's effective storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But it's also undeniably frigid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, I know I'm I'm the person who always shits on on the idea of fridging, but I had to take a moment to to, to defend it. Oh, yeah. right. And it's yep. it's mm-hmm. it's particularly relevant when it is this is a this yeah. is the direct repercussion not only of your act of your actions, but of your lack of follow through. Yep. And I think exactly. And I think the I I this is this is this in particular this episode and this thing begins to set a trend for these characters that is has both its positive and negative aspects but they begin to think about the fact that they have issues with their follow through yep from this point forward which i which is a really big character development uh, moment it is and so furthermore <laughs> it, it, reginald's death doesn't just affect the characters like like emotional like guilt and stuff like that it actually changes what the party so, uh, it threatens to change what the party's going to do because uh-huh. percy is immediately like you cut him down now they're gonna yeah. know we were here we have to move tonight and arguments start to happen a little bit and then pike Wonderful, wonderful Pike comes in and goes, Nope, I'm gonna spa- I'm gonna cast Speak with Dead. So we can get some answers. Yep. Um there's a nice little moment that does not fit how Speak with Dead works, and that's perfectly fine. <laughs> where uh, uh 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 I wrote down Vex, but it's probably Vax. Uh, look, I typed these notes out because no, I, I think it was Vex. Anything. If you're talking about like the apology and yeah. that sort of thing, was yeah, no, I think I think okay. that was Vex. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Vex apologizes. Reginald says he knew what he was getting into. Uh, they start to ask some questions and take it away, Jack. So first, they ask uh, how much the people that killed Reginald know, because, you know, obviously with Percy's objections and statements, the whole shit, how much how 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 much of our hand has been tipped is foremost in their minds. So Vax asks, how much do your murderers know about us? And Reginald apparently told them it was him who killed Horace. Which, you know, is kind of badass, considering that Reginald is a farmer who's probably never swung a sword in his life. Um, Reginald's a stone-cold badass. Right, but Reginald is apparently a stone-cold badass, right, who can convince convince a knot of, of, of thieves, murderers, raiders, and criminals that, yeah, I'm badass enough to have fucked up your friend. He's also a dad, isn't he? Yes, he is a dad. They have yeah. reference that he has a daughter. And yeah, yeah. Right. No, uh, there's, there's not, there's not a damn thing I wouldn't do to save, right. to to help the people who are going to save to my daughter. rescue my daughter. Yeah, absolutely. Scanlan then follows up with, "Are there any distinguishing marks or or names thrown about from the people who who killed you?" Um, and Reginald's corpse tells them a little bit of details uh, that. 
that basically uh, gives them a description of somebody that Grog recognizes as Xanror, um, who they have encountered previously uh, on the outskirts of Westron. Percy then follows up with the third question, what other things were, are we going to face inside the city? Um, and he basically says, well, they've got a lot of fighters, they've got some magic, and they have a fucking dragon. So, you know, watch out for those three. Watch out for the dragon. <laughs> yeah. Um, Grog generally then, good advice in a yeah, fantasy setting. Yeah, right. Any anytime you're in a fantasy uh, setting, in any setting, watch out for right. the dragon, no matter never, what. Always never deal, never deal with the dragon. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and Grog then <laughs> thanks him for his time, which is amusing as fuck, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and asks how long it was since the dragon was had been there, and it was Reginald tells them two days. It was two days since the dragon was last seen. Um, and that gives them sort of the the concept of, okay, we can probably wait one more night. Um, and then Scanlan asks the last question of, what would you like us to tell your daughter? Which I think is sort of one of the best character development beats for Scanlan in yep. this, because he's the only other parent mm -hmm. in the group. He's the only parent in the group. And Reginald responds to tell her that my life was given so that she could live hers and that my memory lives on through her. Um, and seeing Scanlan sort of make that connection of father to father, um, he's starting to develop a sense of empathy, which we will eventually see more of going down the line. Learning to person. Yeah. And so at that point, they've asked their five questions. Reginald officially expires again, you know, and they begin to make plans, basically arriving at the concept of will make our move the day after the dragon comes back. We'll camp out, we'll watch. The dragon will come to get whatever the herd of storms has to offer. And once it leaves, then we'll make our move because that's going to give us the longest period of time before we have to worry about an entire band of Goliath raiders plus a dragon. We'd rather just we'll deal with the raiders and push the dragon off as long as we can to give ourselves the, the best chance at success. So they camp for the night. Scanlan does the mansion thing again. Um, main thing of note that happens is that whatever Scanlan had been writing before is now revealed to be a letter, specifically to Pike, which he gives her at the door of her bedroom with instructions to don't open this until I'm dead. And Pike is very gracious and takes the letter and, you know, give, you know, reassures him that absolutely she's got, she, she will take this from him and, and open it in the event of his death. And Scanlan, of course, is gratified that he actually did something and Pike was accepting of it because, you know, she's usually kind of brushing him off because he's mostly a creep most of the time. Yes. The Walks man, away. The, the gnome who makes the mansion man does he get shunned. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
and Pike shuts the door and immediately opens the letter and reads it. As you do. As you right. do. Right. And so everybody, of course, loses their shit over that, which is hilarious and fantastic. Um, but just seeing that sort of subversion of the relationship there, I I liked that a lot this week. This was that was that was that was my personal favorite moment of the entire. Do we session. learn? Do we learn what the letter says this session? Eventually, no. not this. I know, session. I know eventually, but not this. Yeah, session. no, definitely not this session. That that stays under wraps for quite a good while. Yep. They they did return Reginald's body back to the perch to try and conceal as much of the uh, the evidence as they could, um, and. The next day, the the twins lie in wait to try and watch to see if the dragon flies by because it is more or less scheduled to come by this following day. After a period of time watching, the the black dragon does come down. It grabs uh, the cart of offerings that had been deposited by, I think, three of the herd. And it grabs one of the herd as a snack, too, um, while the other two basically are like, well, shit, that was kind of fucked up but it's a big black dragon what the hell are we going to do about it again and they kind of shrug <laughs> right yeah when because because yeah they it's it's the the joke of where does a 800 pound gorilla sit anywhere the fuck it wants and but with that they now have that moment of okay we have a period of time starting more or less now to start making things happen so that we can hopefully neutralize this herd of raiders that have taken over Western before the dragon comes back for its next scheduled offering. Commence another session of a ridiculous amount of planning. Keyleth uh, does, uh, does an excavation where she's trying to basically disturb the earth near the gate, the closest gate to the city, so that when they run across it, it'll collapse under them and hopefully take out some of the herd that way because um, that's, you know, her strategy going in. And Scanlan decides to go invisible and go into the city and scout around for a bit. Um, There's lots of talks about what sort of illusions they could make in order to hopefully either intimidate or otherwise disconcert uh, the, the herd of storms uh, they talk about making Grog look like a zombie, making Grog look like his dead father, making somebody else look like his dead father, and Grog looks like Grog still, and, you know, just a whole bunch of different, we've got all these tools, but we don't really know how to use them effectively, and we're just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. But ultimately, Scanlan goes in and begins poking around to try and figure out what he can see. As he, he progresses into the city at one point, he's starting to get a lay of the land. He's invisible this entire time in order to, to try and minimize the chances that he'd be, he'd be spotted or detected. Somebody in a house notices him, but it doesn't appear to be a member of the occupying forces. It seems to be an inhabitant um, and there's a little bit of curiosity about that, but Scanlan keeps going to try and get closer to his objective because they're trying to find the Margrave's house, which is where uh, Kevdak, the leader of the, the herd, has set up. Uh, Scanlan bumps into a group of about six of the, of the raiders and 
assumes that he can cast a spell while still remaining invisible, <laughs> which is not true. Um, but he casts Thunder Wave on them, which immediately makes himself visible. And then, of course, panics and tries to get the fuck out of there as best he can, which he initially does by dimension dooring 500 feet away into a temple. At which point he's confronted by a number of people who have barricaded themselves with weapons in said temple. And I believe is held at crossbow point until somebody realizes that it's Scanlan Shorthalt. And we are once again treated to the sight of Dr. Dranzel and his traveling troop. And Scanlan is finds himself having stumbled into the company of his former employer and once again his very disapproving daughter, which is where the episode ends. Which, see, uh, surprise cameo reveals are a thing that happens. Yeah. Particularly the end of media. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. Having so-and-so show back up again when you weren't expecting them is an excellent way to, to cliffhanger it in not a dangerous way, though, but in a, yeah. oh, shit, what's going to happen next kind it's, of way. It's a really good way to hook the audience into coming to see the next the next part of your story. It's yep. tension, but not necessarily with peril. Whether uh, you're talking about a commer- uh, the just before a commercial break or at the end of a movie. The, yeah, episode, the stinger yeah. at an end of a movie. Uh, post-credit stuff, or the big reveal in the comic book of the person who you have only seen in shadow up to that point. Who, let's be honest, if you're reading the comic, you probably already know who it is. That point. right? Because because because, because comic book characters, characters have they, very distinctive silhouettes. Most of them. You look at that. You're, you're you're familiar with the characters and Magneto's helmet because it's always fucking Magneto <laughs> is very distinctive. There's nothing. Um, there's nothing worse though than having a cameo character appear that no one recognizes. Yes. Yes. It's like right. that's true. This person is supposed to be important. Who the fuck is this? Right. We don't. We will, they will remember me. Uh, <laughs> Maybe nope. one person remembers. No. Nope. Sorry, dude. <laughs> or nobody remembers you. And if you want examples of that, William ran a StarCraft campaign for us once. <laughs> <laughs> Also, if you want other examples of that, wrestling. <laughs> yep. Yep. Faux show. Yep. But every most people up to this point definitely recognize Dr. Dranzel, definitely recognize Kaylee. Um, so this one is a more or less fairly effective one. Um, and and it's it's an excellent setup of giving giving the group more hooks as well because when you're confronted with something like in this case the the problem of western being overtaken by a hostile force if it's just the group on the outside trying to figure out what to do without really having any footholds or any any territory on the interior that they can build off of that can be a very sort of that can be a kind of a non-starter 
for for a group of players. But if you give them not necessarily really awesome, but at least some allies on the inside, that then gives them a toehold that they can then utilize to build and create and work off of. It gives the Velcro something to grab onto as far as this problem goes. And you you don't risk quite as quite of much of a tactical stall at this point as people try and figure out which cracks to exploit. You show them some cracks that they can already just jam their hands into and grab on. Yep. So yeah. I I I really was pleased with with the ending here of yeah. of giving both the character both the players the characters and the audience something familiar to latch on to in the face of this fairly overwhelming looking obstacle that's in their path especially with the reveal of exactly how big and hungry this dragon is and the rest and the episode ends there and then is followed up by like an hour of them opening. Oh, like and three and hours. Yeah. Yeah. A ridiculous amount of hours. Hmm. Oh, was it, it is. Hours? It's two hours specifically two hours. because yeah. it is 40% of the episode. <laughs> like, well, when I, when I sat down <clears> to be like, all right, we're doing this one. Let me do the breakdowns of the episode. The, the 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 three thirds. Holy fuck! This is like five plus hours. It's, We're it's, already at that point yeah, in the campaign. The running yep. time is five hours fifty five minutes. Oh, and, so no, so it is three hours. Yes. Yeah, yeah, three, mm-hmm. it is three yep. hours. And as a slight appendix to this, this is also the first episode that we get video credits. Yes, for yep. the yep. campaign. First time, first time we have the live action video credits. That they uh, that they went out and filmed uh, in in, in pers- full cosplay, cosplay, full shebang, yep. Which I mean, it's not cosplay at that point; it's costuming. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, no, yeah, that's fair. It is costuming. <laughs> when we do it, it's, it's costuming. Co- <laughs> when they do <laughs> it, they are the Look, actors originating the role. They recorded themselves larping as their own characters. <laughs> And put a um, beat to and, it. And there's some, honestly, I would say there's some very good characterization in the yes. credits as well. Oh, for sure. They yeah. do a they they do a phenomenal job of of hitting some character beats, some some good character thematic elements in those. I would. I still have. If no- anybody here has not like watched any of campaign Wait, one this isn't the first time this is the first time they've had this credit sequence yeah yeah, yeah. yes this credit, this, credit se- this was this was the, the live the action live action yeah, one yeah. right yes yeah they've had they've had credits before but well they had i mean it was live action it was a live action credit sequence yeah but it wasn't it was them in vaguely the, the it costuming was, it, was right. not as extensive as, yeah. because this was under when Orion was still. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was them wearing a couple of in, of yeah. costume pieces and holding a couple of props, m- like motioning at the camera. Whereas this is the new. This is the one where it's them as their characters yep. fighting a thing. Yeah, and mm-hmm. which and and uh, uh, Sam Regal performing cock lightning in yeah. live action. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Which, in retrospect, 
Now, whatever you may think of Orion or don't think of him, it was probably best that they waited until he was gone to do this because it's a lot harder to cost to, to do a cosplay for a fucking dragon or full costuming for a fucking dragonborn when you don't have a budget. Yep. Yeah, no, it's fair. Anyways, mm-hmm. so that was the end of Best Light Plans. We'll be coming back next time with uh, The Test of Pride was the next episode that's up on the critical role scale of critical thinking. In addition, uh, at some point soon, we'll be doing our first uh, of our offshoot of critical thinking where we're talking about uh, pop culture stuff that's going to be a video series on our YouTube channel. Yep. We're going to be yep. starting that off with we think star wars but that might have changed based on a discussion we had prior to the recording this so <laughs> that'll go out that announcement will go out on twitter at some point yep after we have more discussions but anyways yes. test of pride where simba learns about how no never mind test of pride everything the light touches is yours <laughs> <laughs> say goodbye everybody bye everybody goodbye, goodbye.